Well, hey guys, we're going to try something new and launch a, well, we're not launching a podcast. We're, we're trying a sample episode of a podcast. A midweek addendum. That's right. And so I'm here with John Cox, our operations pastor, uh, who does a lot of reading and studying on various issues. And we're going to spend some time digging into some of the ideas we talked about this weekend at a little deeper level. And so let me just say, if you missed the message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that, which would be the podcast before this, um, and then come back and listen to this afterwards, uh, because a lot of it, uh, that'll kind of set it in the context of what we're talking about. But really what we're talking about is understanding some of the ways that technology and the internet and digital technology is impacting our lives, how it's changing us. And one of the things we talked about this weekend is how uh, we tend to just bring devices and technology or apps into our life without ever really pausing to ask the question of how does this affect us, right? Guilty! <laughs> yeah, I know we've all done that. And so uh, we did a little, ask. we asked the question like how many screens you have. So some of you, if you're there this weekend, you probably went and counted your screens. Let's see. Did you count your screens, John? He's counting in his head right now. I, I actually, I minimized and made, like, I got fancier versions of all of it, so I'm down to actually seven. Seven screens? Yeah. Wow. And that, would be, that would include my wife's phone and her computer, too. Hey, well, that's pretty good, actually. I'm, I'm impressed. I bet you'd have more. Now, if we went to internet-connected devices, <laughs> I would lose instantly. That's right. So John's house is uh, pretty much... You can talk to it. Yeah, you can talk to it. So, it's uh, he, he is a well qualified person to talk on the uh, the topic of technology. So let's just kind of launch in and talk about a couple things um, today. And one of those is we talked about the fact that technology, you know, like Socrates and Da Vinci didn't just adopt; they had actually had some fear of what technology would do to society, which I think is interesting because for us. Other than, you know, I don't know, like what, nuclear warfare or something. Right. I think we just sort of blindly adopt technology, right? Right. Well, I think like, it, yeah, because like it's hard to think of things. We just take so much technology for granted. Like thinking of writing as a technology, it, it's really true. And it changed, I mean, it changed the course of like recorded history. But like to think of it as a technology, so like things like the pen to its day would have had a huge, because now you can write and save information. And if you were just able to orally tell it, I mean, what a difference of that does that make? I mean, think about like a to-do list if you're trying to get stuff done. I mean, that actually really helps before then. Think about uh, papyrus, right? Yeah. Think about having to carry around your to-do list on a big old slab right. of rock or clay. <laughs> that, would, that would be a little inconvenient. Yeah, right? Post-it notes, I mean, post-it notes are now like, you can, they give them away pretty much and, and uh, but, but anyway, like technology is constantly shaping just the way we do things. And uh, it does shape who we are, too, without paying attention to it. Yeah, I think it's interesting how, how um, as I went back and studied this last week, and just thinking about the 15 years, you know, since I got married and all the different things that have rolled out during that time, like YouTube. Right. And you think about how many people especially for kids and we'll talk about that in a little bit how kids use youtube it's, it's pretty crazy um you know the smartphone um facebook it was right. launched just a little bit before that but it really didn't become popular until 07 and and um 
Netflix, you know, all these things that take a lot of our time, if you, right. especially if you combine them all together. Amazon, you know, you think of all the different things Amazon does and all the, the convenience and everything. and Getting stuff to your house in two days. Yep. I mean, and that's probably just been in the last four or five years where that's really taken off to where it's like really popular and almost mm -hmm. ubiquitous that like pretty much everybody has. See, I, I was an early adopter on that one. I had, I had Prime pretty early. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think one, one of the things that like, um, w when you start bringing all these devices into your homes is, is like, we watched a movie just the other night and it was crazy because they, they, they had flip phones and they were like, they would call each other on the phone and it was a big part of this like romantic comedy movie that we watched the other night. But it was so funny because it really was, I think it was 2006 or something when it was made, but it seemed like it was this like foreign, like it felt old fashioned. And I mean, mm -hmm. all the actors and actresses were, were, were still popular today, but just the way that they communicated without internet, I mean, the, the only technology that they had in it was MySpace, and it almost seemed like a joke, even though like it literally was like <laughs> MySpace cyber-stalking someone. But they, they yeah. called each other. They weren't texting. They, yeah. they, like, and like, like if you try to give someone a voice call now, I think for like, unless they're over 40, pretty much they don't answer unless they're like, unless you <laughs> pre-texted, hey, I'm going to call you. Isn't that funny how our society's changed that way? Yep. I think uh, one of the things we talked about is how we're more connected than we've ever been, yet uh, we also feel more isolated than we've ever been. And you read a book a while back called Bowling Alone. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that it was actually done years ago, but um, they've, they've kind of done an update and he's come back and revisited it. But it's basically how, um, if you think about like my grandparents' generation and then our parents' generation, there were uh, all these informal uh, gatherings. So like, you know, Ma grandma might have had a bridge club, grandpa might have gone to the Lions Club. And there were, there were basically excuses to bring community around people and, and bowling leagues is basically mm -hmm. like, it is the main thrust of the, of the book. And people used to be involved in things in their community, but over time we've just kind of spent more and more time at home and less time doing things with like the softer, larger community. But 10, like one of the things about that, like one of the implications is that our societies actually strengthen and people's relationships are strengthened in those informal kind of hangout times. So um, as we've gotten busier, as we started working longer and stuff, like some of those soft things that we used to do to connect face to face with each other mm -hmm. are the first things in your schedule. If you think about it and, it, and it's pragmatic, it just gets mm -hmm. cut out. So over time, what, what that's done is that's made people more isolated because like your acquaintances are less friendly to you than they were now because you used to go bowling with them on Thursday nights for, you know, three months or something. And now you might just see Bill at the store every now and again, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, like all those soft times and like churches is is one of the last kind of places left. But I mean, even mm -hmm. even if you think about one of our services, I mean, you might get here five minutes early and grab a cup of coffee and then you might stay and say hi to 10 minutes. But really, that's not like a huge chunk of time, right? Yeah. And most of it, you're not interacting. Yeah. You're sitting there yeah. listening, which right? is why groups are such a great venue. If you can get in a group, um, it's such a great venue to have those face to face conversations. Right. I remember my grandpa, their thing was the rock club and, uh, they just loved 
you know, being involved in the rock club. I remember they drug me out into the desert almost every weekend looking for like, you know, agate and dinosaur bone and arrowheads and all sorts of stuff. But that was that kind of like informal time that just doesn't seem like it happens that much anymore in, in so many people's lives. Right. I, I think, I mean, the only avenue that it really happens is like, I feel like if, if it does happen at all, it mainly happens in like kids activities. Like, you know, if you think about like dance clubs and soccer teams and stuff like those, even when I was a kid, I mean, like it was a Saturday, you know, maybe for two months and, and a few games. But now when your kid signs up, man, they, they could be at a tournament. They could be out of town on a tournament so that they're like the intensity of what our kids do, like I think more and more ha has ramped up to where there isn't like, there isn't like that much fun. And, and like one, one of the things that I remember that they talked about, and I don't think it was bowling alone, sorry, my books are gonna go all over the place. <laughs> but um, anyway, he was just talking about the intensity of, of kids in practice and how a lot of kids, like one of the new things is that they they want to lose tournaments, so they actually get to hang out with their friends. So like there there's like this whole scandal I read about it is like the soccer team was bombing tournaments because they just wanted to hang out with their friends. Like they were so sick of playing soccer by the time they were twelve. But I mean yeah. like like so they they're like kids are sometimes when they actually get to do it, they do want that face to face kind of informal mm -hmm. human connection. And as we were preparing to record this, you were talking about the difference in the brain and what that informal versus, because we, we know we're more connected online. Right. You know, I looked, I don't know, last time I checked, I had 1,200 Facebook friends or something, you know, of which, whom I think I only see like maybe 25 people. It's, it feels like that at yeah. least as you're scrolling down, you see the same stuff from them. And they're not even like people who I'd consider close friends for the most part, you right. know? Right, yeah, it's, it's their, they are pro, prolific friends posters yeah. I mean because like the beginning of Facebook it was just kind of a chronological feed so you would just see if I posted something and then you know your buddy from college who you hadn't seen in five years posted something like those would be my posts then his posts but now it's all algorithm driven so um, it, it basically is trying to get you to click again. So it, it, it knows what you engage with. And that, that's kind of the litmus test is like, it knows what content you like. And like, sometimes I, I think we don't like that mirror because it's like, do I really like memes and jokes from these guys? Because that's basically, <laughs> apparently, like when I look at my Facebook page, if, my, if people post funny, stupid things, like I'm like, oh, I love this guy, you know? And that's all I see. And like, yeah, people who I'm actually more close to, like who post serious things, not so much. <laughs> not so much. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, I mean, it's kind of, we were going to talk about this later, but why not? Let's talk about it now since you brought it up because uh, that, uh, you taught me this term, random, let's see, where, where was it? Random variable, I lost it. Oh yeah, so it's random variable rewards. So basically, it's kind of a, a cognitive, uh, like psych psychological tactic. So there's like reward schedules and stuff. Um, so basically, if you want to maximize someone's enjoyment of something, is like we all like to get a reward at the end of something. But if you know if it's a predictable reward, so like let, let's say you have a rat and he hits the buzzer and he gets a pellet of food every time, like that is like obviously that's enjoyable, but you kind of get bored of it after a while, right? But what if, you know, like every four times 
you hit it, then you may get a pellet or you may not. Or if you hit it seven times, now you might get a lot of pellets and stuff like that. So Which I've been reading, that's the same system that the casinos use in slot machines. Exactly. Right? So, so actually like Facebook and Instagram and stuff, a lot of the, like a lot of their psychological team is basically figuring out how to the algorithm, you know, like that we'll talk about is over and over again is optimized and it's optimized because they know who you are and, and they they literally have cookies that are like helping your like Tim Nutting's uh, you know what is his optimal variable reward program to keep him engaged the longest because their whole thing is they want you on the platform and on the platform as much as possible you mean somebody actually is tracking me and wants to make money off of me yeah it's weird we would, we would think that uh that all these companies who are worth billions of dollars are just benevolent but turns out i thought that, they were just offering a, a great free service right and i think a lot of the time like it's helpful just to understand that when you're doing something for free and you're getting a service for free uh, in the internet it kind of works like you are the product so your data is the actual product so like you are worth something to prevent like uh you are worth something to potential marketers because they know oh well he goes here online and he shops here and he takes his phone with him here so maybe if we showed him an ad of this and they try to target your ads and and, and for like i know like for a lot of people, like Instagram ads are super effective and they almost hate Instagram because they end up buying stuff on that because, you know, if you're on there clicking all the time, like I was talking to Danielle the other day and she was just like, she did not like Instagram because like every time it knows what she likes and then it shows her ads, like she wants this ring and like it keeps on showing her ads of this ring and now she like really wants it. Yeah. Like, what was the creepiest one for me was we were in, I think, in your office talking about something, and I go back to my office like five minutes later or ten minutes later, and the thing pops up on my Facebook feed. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's weird. And, 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 like, so the term for that is surveillance capitalism. Right. So, so basically, they make money off of you by knowing your data. And like... Uh, I, I use I use it just because it does like provide coupons, but it's just this little web extension called Honey, mm -hmm. and uh, they don't even actually have a product. They don't do anything. It basically searches for those little coupon code that you can you know like type in the coupon code and then you get it like ten percent off or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it just scours the internet for that. You add it onto your browser, and then obviously it follows you around anyway. Anyway, like PayPal just bought Honey for four billion dollars and they have about 17 and i think it was 17 and a half million active users a month so basically if you do the math that that goes to about 425 bucks a person is more or less like the going rate for your data at the browser extension level which is like pretty accurate because like you know if you go anywhere on your computer that's mm -hmm. where it's going to be so it's just it's crazy when you start thinking about how much you're worth to be marketed to. I mean, yeah. we see so many ads and we, I mean, the irony is like, we don't hardly watch commercials anymore unless you're watching like a sporting event or news yeah. or something like that. I remember that. watching a sporting event with my kids and the commercials are so weird to them. <laughs> it was just right. like, what do, you know, what are these? And it's because basically all they ever watched is Netflix, you right. know, and they're, they're used to streaming with no commercials. 
Um, my son recently started watching like Lego stuff on YouTube, so now he's getting some of those right. commercials. But other than that, they've never seen a commercial. Or, or if they have, they've only seen one that you have to wait five seconds to skip. <laughs> wait They're five like, where, seconds. where is the skip button? Like, I remember my uh, nephew's kind of similar thing is we were, we were watching the Bronco game at my sister's house, and like he was not really into football. He's like nine, and like he was like, why can't you skip that? It's been five seconds, and we're like, it, it's TV's like. That's stupid, you know. Like, why would why would it be like that? So, Facebook. We googled this um, when we were working on some of the research for this series, and Facebook revenue for two thousand nineteen was seventy nine billion dollars. That's incredible amounts of money. Forty five thousand employees. Google just the ad revenue is one hundred thirty two billion. Right. And they have one hundred three thousand employees as of just a couple years ago, and so it's like. These companies are, are like nation states, huge. Like, yeah. and, and I think like we just don't know what to do with um, companies that have like almost the same power as like a nation state. I mean, because when you start, I mean, Facebook's bigger than any nation, and like, what does that mean? Like, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And they have like WhatsApp, which is like super. I mean, they're this huge conglomerate of all these things, and like a lot of people, especially in the third world. Like in Africa, they do have the, uh, like they have internet connectivity, mm -hmm. but it all is just Facebook. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of people experience internet connectivity as Facebook and fa Facebook subsidize it to eventually make money off of it. So it's like this weird thing that like, I think is just, it, it's just to be knowledge. Like, I, I don't know what to do with it, but it, it, it is weird to have companies that are almost as powerful as like we would think of a nation and they they have all these scopes and like i know like eu if you've noticed all the cookie things you have to agree mm -hmm. to this because that's all because of the interconnectivity of our world does anybody read those i don't think so <laughs> i think i think i, did, I just never click them yeah. they pop one up on every single news site i click yeah. on or whatever i just never click them i just sort of try to avoid them so like you basically because because of the eu and, and regulations and basically because like if the new york times obviously wants to have european subscribers or whatever like they had you have to click on it doesn't matter mm -hmm. so like so basically cookies follow you around um but what, what that is, is basically EU regulations that affect the rest of the world. So now every, but like the thing is, is like, you're supposed to be able to have control, but like pragmatically how it works out is like, you're just like, okay, I accept, I accept. I want to use it. Like no, no one actually does anything. So like they've just made it more inconvenient yeah. and didn't change anything. Yeah. And so all this, basically what we talked about this weekend is one of the things that when we think about all that, it's not none of this is going to go away. It's ubiquitous, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing to realize is that the smartest people in the world are working really hard to make you addicted to the product. Yeah. And so that's where, when you know, when we talk about connection, the fact that in a way we're more connected than ever, and yet we're more isolated than ever, more distracted than ever. Right. Um, so, do you know what some of the research is about, like people, just the way people feel and being isolated well I, I i mean i think it's probably more helpful just to at least for me is just to think about personally is like i know i constantly get in trouble with my phone like when i'm supposed to be talking to my wife especially like i will do a bad job of like just kind of checking out and like i won't even notice but like she's like yeah i've been listening heavier and i'm like 
No, yeah, I, I wanted, what did you say? And then, like, I'm totally in trouble, but, but I, like, we, we actually, when we do stuff, like, even, like, if we're trying to watch a movie now, like, a lot of times we will put our phones where we can't reach them, so, like, we actually can enjoy something and not be half distracted all the time. So, like, yeah. I think, I think part of it is, like, you're half distracted, and I think, um, because it's convenient, I think we do, we text and, and we maybe not, we maybe not do as much stuff. Like I, I think, and maybe it's just getting older, but I think, I think especially with younger kids and research will show that they, they don't get together physically as, as much and they don't have as much like unsupervised playtime. Mm -hmm. So part of the implication of that is, is they just don't know how to interact socially and, and like, like if you talk to young people, if they have to make a phone call to an adult, like universally, like they'll they'll like uh like this one this one tale in iGen was was talking about this girl who like her mom was saying what are you doing because like like she gave her money to order a pizza, and like the app wasn't working so she had to call. And she was writing down what she was going to say because, like, she was so nervous that she... Because she's wow. used to controlling every interaction because a yeah. text message, like, if you think about it, you get to edit it, yeah. you get to read it, you get to put all your emojis behind it. So, yeah. like, to me, like, I, I, I am, I'm old enough to where, like, if it gets more than a paragraph, like, I'm probably just going to call you. But to them, like, like they get to control communication because text mm -hmm. kind of allows you to control when you answer, when you don't. But like when you're live with somebody, like you don't really get to control the interaction near as much. So the stress level that they feel when they have to do it. So part part of what what they do, but we don't get the same um, like the how your brain's wired. You don't get the same meaning. You don't get the same emotional like input and output that we're kind of wired for. Mm -hmm. So um, they they their relationships don't tend to go very deep. And even when they are together, they don't know how to interact. So mm -hmm. part of it is just like, I think thinking through times that you can make your kids interact without devices and mm -hmm. just have free play where they could kind of do that is yeah. actually really helpful to their social development. And just like eventually, I think, you know, even though the world is changing, I think like being able to be good at face-to-face -face communication is going to probably help you in the long run. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of the most vital skills you can have in any sort of accomplishment in life. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a it's a force multiplier. If you can, I mean, like, it's awesome to be good at written communication, but, like, if you get in a room and are so nervous that you can't really, like, it, it can make it really, really tough. So part, part of it is just getting comfortable with face-to-face -face interaction and just, like, because I think it's universally, like, I don't know too many times that people, when they talk about having a great time, like it's fun to play online <coughs> games with friends and stuff, but yeah. you don't really take those home as memories. Remember when I shot this guy on that clip? You know, it's like, no. it's like you need to go out and actually do things too. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. I think when we talk about isolation and just people, that lack of connectedness with each other, um, I think the distraction is a huge part of that, right? right. Yeah. 
yeah. and just being distracted. I, I notice that all the time in my family, and it's just, I get yelled at, too, <laughs> this week. Yeah. Um, not yelled at, but scolded, yeah. right? You're doing a series on this. Stop texting while we're playing a game. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like... <laughs> it, it's just, it, it, it's like, I find myself, like, it, it's weird if I feel like I'm just starting to get bored, or like, it's, but it's always there, and like, mm -hmm. it always will be somewhat engaging. So it makes a lot of sense, but I know, like, if you pay attention to the way it, like, if you're, because we've all been on the other side of it, too, and, like, when you're, when you've been talking for a minute, and then you realize everyone's down in their phone, mm -hmm. it, like, it kind of is like, oh, I'm sorry, I should have shut up, you know, like, yeah. like, you, you don't really feel, you definitely feel it, and then, like, over time, I think you, you become numb to the reality that, like, you're sitting there, and you're both just like scrolling on like have you ever been out to dinner and just seen that couple that mm -hmm. hasn't really talked to each other in like 10 minutes mm -hmm. but they're just like you know just scrolling on their phones together and mm -hmm. like i think w without thinking about it I, I don't think that that's what god has for us in this life you know yeah. like like i i don't think it's bad i mean like because i have more technology than like a lot of people mainly. but so it's not that I'm a neophyte but but like I do know that like it does have an effect on me and without putting boundaries in place like I think it's one of those things that really um sneaks up on me and it it, it like I have the ability to connect with everyone but I'm so convenient and comfortable that I end up connecting with no one yeah and I think when you think about the sky rate, skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression, right. especially among young people, especially among and young especially people. among young girls, yeah, because like that that is one of the things that in all of, all of my reading that I've really noticed is like the social media stuff, um, how how basically how young people use tech is something completely different as to like you and I because like you talked about it a little bit and we talked about it before was. Like, when you're born with something, it's just how life is. And when something gets invented during your lifetime, man, all of a sudden, that's that's a cool new piece of technology. How does mm -hmm. this work? Like, you, you, you played the Steve Jobs thing, you know, and, mm -hmm. like, you, you remember that, and that was, like, an iconic moment of your life. But, like, to, to somebody who's, like, 20 years old, like, they don't really remember that. And a smartphone has been with them, like, you know, like the television was with us when we were growing up. So part of that is you just become numb to what is around you. So a lot of times, like young people don't think of, like they don't know how to connect any different. So mm -hmm. Instagram or, you know, or WhatsApp or TikTok is just the way that you communicate. Yeah. But um, it was interesting because kids are really connecting. So, so this is where it gets a little tough because when you think about your kids in your youth, they're not using technology the same way you're using it. Nope. They're actually, um, because it's not technology to them, it's just the way that you connect with people. And so um, things like Minecraft, kids actually, part of it's because kids aren't going outside and playing like they used to, right? Right. I, I mean, I, I think about all the places I used to ride a bike to. Yeah. And, you know, all over the hills. And I'd disappear for hours at a time in, right. in the backyard. <laughs> we had like tree houses with 30 foot nailed yeah. ladders nailed to the truth so dangerous it's crazy yeah. right but then you've got all the helicopter parents that that you know kids don't do that anymore it's just not really right. part our of our society our society has changed and that was something that uh bowling alone kind of uh, or not sorry um 
the coddling of the American mind, like they had a whole chapter on that, how like our society is actually safer. Like the crime rate hasn't been this low, I think since the 1950s. And it's, I mean, it varies by community and stuff, but nationwide, like it, it was actually more dangerous for us to be around on, but like, <laughs> but really society has changed so much to where like parents just don't do that. And I think that's the air we breathe. And I think that'd be hard to really change, but yeah. I think to your other point though is like kids like use like things like Fortnite or Minecraft and like these platforms that we would see as video games and it's not just a video game to them it's actually how they catch up socially mm -hmm. so that they might be playing their PlayStation and have their headset on Mm -hmm. And they're not really gaming as much as they're connecting with their friends. And, like, to me, it feels like a video game. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you want to, like... I mean, like, I remember video games with my friends as either watching someone and then you'd punch them to get a turn. Mm -hmm. Or you were, like, playing against each other live. But now, like, because the experience is fun because you get your own screen and stuff. So the experience is fun to be playing with someone across the internet. But part of it is is just, like hey, this is how me and my friends actually hang out now. Like, because mm -hmm. we don't go over to each other's house as much. Or, like, it's funny, if if you do go over, like, uh, like my buddy, he was telling me that his, his son came home from his friend's house. Like, they were going to spend the night, but they decided it wasn't as fun to play, so he came home so that they could play Xbox <laughs> online from his own room. So it's like, it, <laughs> it, it's, it was the exact opposite of, like, what I... Because I remember, like, me and my friends would always yeah, try to stay over longer. was, like, the greatest yeah. thing in the world, right? Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> it wasn't as fun because the TV was split. You know? That's so weird. It's so interesting just to think about that, right? Yeah. And then kids are, like, you mentioned, like, TikTok... And you think about Facebook and even political campaigns and stuff being drug up that, you know, that you did 20 years ago and different things and stupid things right. you said. And now kids are seeing that. But a lot of the platforms that they're on are erasing, like you post a story yeah. and it gets erased right away. Well, right? because they got to watch their, you know, their parents or an old, older siblings, especially like get in trouble for like, you know, getting on Facebook and, and blasting the world with stuff that they probably shouldn't have said. And it didn't delete and people got it dug up. So like now a lot of the more popular ones with young people are little videos that you post and then somebody sees them and then they delete themselves. So like, and it, I mean, it kind of makes sense because like I wouldn't want my 19 year old self and like all of my <laughs> wisdom and thoughts to be out there in the world. And you know, like, so, so I mean, it, it makes on, on a certain level, like a lot of sense, but um, they're, they're posting things that aren't permanent. And a lot of, a lot of the time is like, they have a curated account for friends and family and then they have another account where like some more nefarious things may or may not be happening you know so i think it's just one of those things and like you know i think that the as soon as like we kind of figure out whatever platform they're on they move to the other one but i mean that i think that's just part of being a young person is you want a place to communicate without your friends knowing about it but i mean there mm -hmm. are some precautions that, that can be done to kind of help and i think you know the main thing is like when you're attacking technological problems you can do stuff and, and like i'm all for that but like a lot of times it's just keeping a heart connection with your kid and you know being able to have those conversations like hey hey how are you doing out you know like are you actually, you know, how is your digital life? Is it healthy? Are you proud yeah. of it? You know? Yeah. 
So iGen, the, the other thing that's interesting about this generation that's coming up is the way that the whole safety thing uh -huh. and um, the uh, different ideas around violence and how that concept just has changed in our society, right? Right. So, I mean, like, I think so some of it is just because they've been taught that, like, safety is kind of, I think, an unintended consequence of making kids' lives safer, which, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Like, why wouldn't we want that? Um, but they've become so safety conscious that, like, it, it, it's basically concept creep is what they talked about. And, and how, um, like, the idea of violence as speech or violence as an idea. So basically, the, the, the whole, the ethic, especially as, as kids get younger, is to never be offensive. So, like, like, you can do you just as long as you never offend me or mm -hmm. your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. So mm -hmm. one of the interesting things, especially among young Christians, um, is the, the idea around evangelism mm -hmm. or like telling someone what you believe about Jesus, especially. Mm -hmm. um, and and this, is, this is just important to, to think about is like in how they're growing up and their peers is that is seen as, as a really aggressive intolerant and mean act mm -hmm. to just say what you believe and like so the the idea of inviting people and stuff is actually like a huge social risk which is like i don't know it was um and i think as our society has become more and more you know like people are going to church but there are less um i'm reading ed stetzer's book right now and he uh it's called christians in a, in the age of outrage mm-hmm and anyway, what he was talking about is really the amount of consistent Christian, or sorry, like um, what he, I can't remember the term that he used, but basically committed Christians yeah. hasn't really changed in about 20 years. Like, Interesting. It, it the percentage? Really, yeah, the percentage yeah. Is, is really held stuff. Um, really what has changed is nominal Christians. And, and nominal Christians have basically declined about 1% a year for about the last 25%. So people just basically have become nuns or agnostic or mm -hmm. atheists. You know, they, they've kind of slid from, uh, you know, I come to church a couple times a year, maybe Easter and Christmas and a few other times finished better to just like, I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. So like those, so like the hardcore believers have kind of stated. So what, what's interesting so this is a long explanation, but it's going somewhere. And so as those people have gone away, like our society has just slowly drifted to be less and less like Christ focused and like default Christian and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So really like the profounding or the kind of the ethos of the air is, wow, like if I share who Jesus is, like that's, that's offensive. Yeah. Because like I could be yeah. hurting someone's feelings that may not be tolerant. Maybe like when people yeah, it's get everything there. from you know the view of somebody's sexuality and right. just the fact that you have a different viewpoint is intolerant. It's it's hateful. And yeah. when did that happen? It's it's this weird dynamic we have in our culture right, right now. But I, I think it's hard if you're coming at it from an older generation because it doesn't make sense. But like I, I don't think I think that's a little bit uh, like. Un, unfair to the generation that's coming behind us because mm -hmm. like when they experience it with their friends like it's like taking your church to friend it's taking your friend to church right it's not weird to you and then you're sitting there with like uh your buddy who's never been to a church and like sorry 
Oh, yeah, this is kind of weird, you know, like, like you get to see it through a different, a different frame. So like, yeah, like when you're telling your kids, um, they, they it's not that they shouldn't do it. it it's just like, it kind of changes how you talk to them. And, and like the, it does require more courage. It does. It is a little bit different just because our society mm-hmm. has changed. Mm-hmm. And you like, I think the older you are, the harder it is to realize when society is moving around underneath you because like, you can ignore it and you can just say, you know, get off my lawn. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, if we look at scripture, I mean, like Jesus, I mean, Jesus is actually, I mean, like he seems to be in a culture that's like becoming more and more like what ours is now is where like when you say things that was super offensive to the authorities, it's super offensive. But I, I don't think that that's like, I think a lot of times Christianity actually shines in times like that because because like I don't think the world is offering a ton of hope it just seems like it's getting worse and worse and more but like I think people get sick of like like I don't know you can't say what you think and I think a lot of people are afraid of just ideas but I think that makes people less and less of who God created and I think that like like part of the idea of our country is free speech and like sharing ideas and you saying what you think and I saying and that's how we kind of figure out like how to how to make these two things work and, and mm-hmm. like there, there's something that's really important about um, our speech and getting to the bottom of what our ideas actually are. Which really makes you wonder where we're headed as a society as you think through these things you, you think through the upcoming generations and as you think through some of these um, tendencies uh, to just view good, what we would have called good debate right. or good arguments yeah. as actual violence. It's yeah. like, ah, it just makes you wonder where we're heading, you know? It's right. going to be an interesting to see in well, the future. Well, because like online, when, when, when you have a disagreement with someone, it tends to get huge and then yeah. you tend to cut off, right? So if that, if you think about it, like mm-hmm. there, there, there is no like where as like people getting. I mean, like I remember, like guys getting into fistfights and stuff in high school, and then their best <laughs> friends like three days yeah. later. You know, but but like, even discussions. I've watched this over and over with with Facebook and uh, different things. Is you people will type things yeah. that they would never say to somebody's face. Right. And so especially this is a good thing to remember during a <laughs> presidential election no. year is people will, will type things, they'll write things, they'll share things that they would never say to someone's face. Right. And so it's almost like, well, we've lost the ability to have a civil discourse around things we don't agree on um, in a rational manner and leave, you know, with some level of respect for each other, even though we don't agree mm-hmm. on them, because the tone that people say things with online just escalates to such a point. Right. And someone gets called Hitler, like, yeah. you know, and then, and then it all, yeah. all, all disintegrates because I think we've just lost the ability to disagree and be friends. And that was something, that was something like I, I, I was, uh, I think it was Bowling Alone and they did an interview, um, I think they were interviewing Bob Dole and he like was a, a senator from Kansas mm-hmm. for a long time. I think he ran for president. Um, 94. Nine, no, no, 96. 96. Yeah, it could have been 94. Oh. Yes, yes. Anyway, so like, and um, one of the things that they were asking him what, what he thought had changed the most, and, and he was just saying like, where like, and when he retired, I can't remember what year, but he was saying like it, it changed so much because like 
he used to be best friends with, um, I think, a Democratic senator from, like, Missouri, and their kids grew up together and all this kind of stuff. And over the years, like, it became, like, is almost, like, fraternizing with the enemy, even though they, like, like, he's, like, I just never thought of it as, like, this is my buddy Bob, you know, this is my buddy Bob, this is Greg, we're great friends, why can't, like, and, and now the idea of if, like, you don't hang, you don't hang out with someone who thinks differently than you, and, and that has huge implications, because it's, like, like, if you talk long enough with anyone, you realize that you don't agree about everything, and, like, mm -hmm. like, really the idea of, of, like, an individual can think different me, think differently than me and we can still be friends and like the polarization like I think has brought a lot of negative and I think a, a lot of times like in our worst moments we can lose a lot of witness by being unwise about what we post yeah I think so and even what we talk about I mean that's one of the reasons why um, you know I have political opinions but you'll you'll almost never be able to figure out what they are based on a weekend message right yeah. um, we sit down and talk about it that's great because I value a lot more the ability to speak gospel and truth into people's lives than the ability to speak about my political opinions into their lives. Right. And I want to hold that and maintain that, you know? And I think, I mean, I think Jesus, like, I mean, Jesus was always, like, there were people trying to politicize a movement, and I'm pretty sure that, like, the part, the hard part about saying Jesus is anything is, like, Jesus keeps on drawing a bigger circle. He's about bringing all people and all nations back to himself so like it can't be it, it can't just be like republicans or democrats or independents or you know like it has to just be this huge circle because he wants like everyone who's a human yeah. <laughs> like like it's that big of a deal to him yeah so all right we're getting all on all sorts of different uh running down all sorts of different bunny trails but i thought i, w I definitely want to talk a little bit more about the um the use of tech and our kids and there's and just Right. Some of the things it's doing, and I, I read this interesting article um, by Harvard Medical School just talking about some of the things that happen in kids' brains um, as they use tech. And it's interesting because some of the research actually, there is positive use mm -hmm. to some screen time and, and, it, and it builds certain areas of your brain. But what it appears like is the areas that need that rich stimulation of real life, um, overuse of tech just isn't producing that right yeah and maybe that has a lot to do with the anxiety and all the depression and all the things we're seeing uh, crop up in our society uh the other thing is how it's impacting sleep right just the blue light before bed and all that kind of thing and then the fact that kids have all sorts of internet connected devices and right. many of them and and uh, hopefully not young kids but we know it's even young kids mm -hmm. um but teenagers for sure they're they're being on these devices, it's keeping them up at night, and they're not getting proper REM sleep. Part right. of that's because of the blue light exposure, which is you know mimics a daytime light, and part of that is um, just because these things are so addictive that right. you, you know you can stay up for hours. Um, and so, I think it's interesting what they're saying is you know like someone, the thing in in a kid's mind, they might be able to remember yesterday's algebra class but they can't remember what they learned the day before because without proper REM sleep you're not committing things to memory right you're learning information but it's not actually committing into your long-term memory right. 
And when you fall asleep with your phone every night, I mean, just like the idea of, I can't fall asleep right now, I'll just look at this for a minute. Like, I think we've all probably done that. And then like mm -hmm. two hours later, you're on some rabbit trail and you're like, oops, you know, like it's one. How did I do mm -hmm. that? And the same thing can happen with kids. I mean, like, it's just, it's just like having some boundaries and there are some like kind of pragmatic tools. Like I think people need to spend a lot of money on a router because like you can kind of make all these fights and then like you can just literally say, okay, these are my son's devices. These go off at nine o'clock and then they're like, it's just how it is so that they can, he can do whatever he wants, but those devices don't work anymore. So like, that's what I'm saying is like a lot of times, I mean, you can go in there if it's a Friday or whatever and like you can override stuff, but you can have some default principles that really just set you up for success. So like, I think it's just, to me, it's just making a lot of rules when you're at your best and like you have a good conversation with them. So this is our rule. There pretty much are no exceptions and mm -hmm. like you can use it until then or from this time to this time mm -hmm. or you can green light it, red light it if they're grounded or whatever. So that there is a lot of stuff that you can just think through and you want to make sure that you're just doing it um, at the right level of stuff because a lot of times parents will, you know, put in a password that their kid knows and like, you know. Yeah, your, your code on your phone, your kid knows it, come on, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your four-digit code on, on Netflix, right. they probably know it. They're not right. that slow or that dumb, but right. they've seen it a few times, you know. So, yeah, I think, um, I think when it comes to you know, the idea of sleep and this isn't just an issue for, um, for kids. I mm. mean, sleep deprivation is becoming a widespread pandemic. pandemic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, 70, like I, I listened to this guy on a podcast, but he's a sleep scientist and like about 70% of Americans, like over the course of a week, will not sleep more than seven hours and like they they've they've had, they have all the research and stuff is basically your cognitive function especially when you stack sleepless nights over time goes down about 20 percent all the way down like they i mean they don't know how low it can go i mean mm -hmm. but basically like your motor skills um how, how much muscle you can create your oxygen levels all this stuff when we don't get enough sleep um, they're starting to link uh, some Alzheimer's tests. They're finding a high correlation between sleeplessness and Alzheimer's, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, and basically a lot of the, your brain has to shut down and then like it almost has like a scrubbing function is how the guy is, I mean, mm -hmm. there's some science terms that I don't know exactly. But basically your brain is cleaning itself and it needs all those slight cycles of sleep and somewhere, most people between seven and nine hours and everyone's like, well, not me, you know? And yeah. it's basically 0.003% of the, so basically it's not you. Like, <laughs> like there are some people who can, do okay in five and six hours yeah. but like I said that's point zero zero three so not even one yeah. percent yeah that's crazy and you think about the addictiveness of technology and and you know both sides of that both the stimulation of the light before that mimics daylight so you're not getting the natural evening right. I mean, even all over many people's houses are full of light bulbs that are running on these blue light frequencies too right so yep. that's part of it but then you have just you know how many times have you binge watched a show and it's 11 p.m. One more. and it's so addicting right. and it's like one more I mean come on that's like for, for many of us that's like an every other night thing right, right? and and um, 
And so it's like by the time you do that and then you got to get up and get somewhere in the morning and you're just not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. I've noticed this thing. Um, I've noticed when I'm fighting off a cold, I'll be, I'll, I'll feel like, um, you know, I'll go to the store, I'll get some mumka, I'll do all that and I'll be fighting it off and doing pretty well. And one lousy night's sleep where I wake up in the middle of the night or whatever, you know, um, thinking about a problem or I just stayed up too late and had to get up early right. and that cold just nails me. Yeah. And so you think like, Right. Fighting off disease, like they're, like sleep just does a whole lot of stuff yeah. for us. And, and like one of the things that I couldn't believe is like they were doing like the physical ramifications. Mm-hmm. So they were like doing the, this uh, boxer and, and mm-hmm. like he like the, he was getting ready. So like he's the week before and he agreed to do it. So like two nights before. So like he's peeking out in all his conditioning and stuff is two nights before they only allowed him to sleep for two hours and then they made him run and kick and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was about 60% of what he was the day before on eight hours of sleep. That's crazy. And he said it didn't feel that much different, mm-hmm. but like your your reaction level, mm-hmm. your that kind of stuff. And I mean, they even talked about like drowsy, um, drowsy driving yeah. and like how it is like basically, I mean, like we've all seen the drunk driving campaigns and yes, mm-hmm. and men to all that, but it's just like, um, drowsy driving actually kills about three times the amount of people and it's actually the number one killer of kids I think under the age of 21 is drowsy driving I believe driving, it not drunk driving. I remember when I lived in California in San Diego and I, I was moving back here I loaded my little Toyota I had an 85 Toyota you know four wheel drive pickup truck packed the thing full of all my stuff and I left at 11 p.m. and got it was three in the morning and I pull in right above the uh, California heading towards California right. state line and I was so tired it, it you probably experienced yeah. this too on a road trip where you just can't keep your eyes open yeah and so I remember I pull over to the side of the road and just fall asleep immediately because yeah. um, you know you just be like waking yourself yeah. up terrified because so <laughs> well that, that's part of the danger of of the like the falling asleep is yeah. like, there are no breaks you you nope. just like you're, you're dead asleep and you're dead <laughs> You're yeah. 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 So two hours later, the sun comes up, pops up, wide awake, or yeah. not wide awake, but right. You can drive up, but I can drive again. But <laughs> it's crazy how uh, how that affects us, and and how technology ties into that. Yeah. Is these days, if we're real honest, most of the time that's why we're not going to bed. Is you scrolling through your phone, and like it's hard because like I know that like the first thing I want to do. When I get up, is I want to grab for my phone, and I know that, like the last thing that I do, like it, it kind of is, is this really by default, like that, that is definitely what I do when I wake up, and what I do when I go to sleep. So like it, it has a this mm-hmm. invisible, um, it has this invisible grip on your heart, and mm-hmm. I think I think that that's kind of the danger of it, and it gets so close, and we just get so used and dependent on it, mm-hmm. and then I think like one of your questions and your message was like. Do you own it or does it own you? And mm-hmm. I, like, I think that's that's one of those hard things. Is like, I think I definitely wrestle with it owning me because like it's super easy. It's super easy just to become. Oh no, I'm fine. And then it's like you try to put it down for a while. It's like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> kind of want to grab it. Yeah. You know? I feel if I leave my phone somewhere, I feel palpable anxiety. Yeah. Just from being disconnected. Right? It's tough. And like, I mean, like, if you think about it, it's like, I, I spent a good half of my life with like, 
where I didn't have a phone with me. I know. And I, I, you know, I slept fine. I lived yeah. okay. There. I traveled a good share of the world right. with zero mobile phone, like, right. and lived and you know, went down to Mexico every week. I, it's just fairly. I mean, it's been a while, but for many people, it's you can remember. You know, if you're over forty, you remember a lot of life without a, phone. a mobile phone, probably. Yeah. And and that thing uh, for me, I remember one of the most peaceful little couple weeks of my life. I was doing my DTS outreach in Thailand in this refugee camp, and we stayed we stayed in this bamboo hut, and there was no electricity. Right, so you had right. to bathe in the in the stream. Uh, you had to. You know, but you, it got dark, and there was nothing to do. Right. And so you'd light up a little. We had these little kerosene lamps. I'd light up. I go up under my mosquito net, read by by lamplight, yeah. and read the Bible, read books, whatever. For a little while, you get sleepy. You're tired because reading is one of the best ways to actually fall asleep. Yeah. And then, and then you'd fall asleep and and, and not on your device. Unfortunately, not on your device. Yeah. 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 So they, they had uh, that sleep guy at the podcast that I was telling you about is they did this thing where they did a control group and they, they monitored people's regular sleeping patterns and then they just made, it, made them go camping kind of and they just mm -hmm. didn't have, they couldn't have tech kind of like that same situation. Mm -hmm. On average, people go to bed about two and a half hours earlier. Like mm -hmm. if you don't have, like, like just being at your house and being around lights yeah. and having all your stuff. Like yeah. tens, and you get up almost about like you usually almost always get your full night's sleep. If you notice, like when you're camping and stuff, you usually will get enough sleep unless there's something crazy going on or like you can't sleep because it's so uncomfortable. But like um, they got more, they got enough sleep, and they usually went to bed earlier and got up earlier. So like like you were more kind of the circadian rhythm is what they call that. Mm -hmm. So like your circadian rhythm really corrected itself almost in like I think four days for most people. Mm -hmm. Like unless you had some pretty severe sleep troubles. That's crazy. Yeah. I read this other article on uh, as I was researching on the modern. So it was a it was a CBS news article on declining birth rates. Mm -hmm. In, in the last few years. And they're talking about how, you know, this upcoming generation is not having the same nope. level of intimate relations as yeah. uh, people in past generations. And the connection between smartphones and that, I mean, you think about if you're getting work texts and calls or just whatever coming in right. at well, 10, 11 o'clock at night, that kind of puts a hamper on things. Well, it's, it's, it's that, and it's just they they don't um, they don't congregate as much like in, in physical proximity. So like one one of those things in iGen is um, actually yeah like sex outside of marriage. All these things are all going down mm -hmm. weirdly enough. But what what's crazy is like it's hard to know if it's a, like it's not necessarily a behavioral moral change. It's just like. A sociology change of where they're just not hanging out together as much. I don't think it's a, a moral thing because if any, re, just look anywhere in society mm -hmm. and everything is trending more towards do whatever you want to do, right. no boundaries, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, so basically, what, what what this research found is like like there's all sorts of dating apps and and stuff like that. Is so people go on like less dates, but when you do go on a date, like your chances of actually um, having an intimate encounter have gone way up. 
they're just going on less dates. So like, you know, like people used to go on more dates and more dates before they did that, you know, like, yeah. So, so one of the weird things is like, there's just the, the, um, like you just go, you go from zero to 10 much more quickly in, in the relationship and the norms is like, we already like each other. We already know, you know, so like, yeah. like you, it's like, there is no kind of like, Hey, I want to get to know you kind of a thing. Like a lot of that has just been like fast forwarded and kind of, yeah. Um, Which is a really weird thing. I mean, it's a whole nother conversation. Obviously mm -hmm. this is just sociological trends. Um, but they're helpful to know because these are the things that your kids and your youth are yeah. dealing with. And even if they're committed followers of Jesus and committed to purity in their own lives, um, this is what their friends at school, this is what the they're culture, hearing. This yeah. is the culture. And, and so, um, I think it's, it's such an important thing to, to realize and technology is having an impact on that. But it's interesting because this article is even looking like even within marriage, yeah. this is an issue, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, because like, I mean, like you, you might've, I mean, think about in, in our parents' generation, like you might've seen someone that you liked from high school or whatever at your 20 year graduation, right? Like you don't, you like, or if you ran into them at random, but now you're friends with them on Facebook. So you can kind of, you know, Facebook and a lot of like infidelity, I think, especially for married people is like reconnecting with someone from, a, a, you know, an old love flame and stuff. And yeah. that can take you down some dangerous places just because it's like, like some of those things are probably just best left in the past, you know? Yeah. I, an article I read was pretty interesting on that because um, it was a, a guy that was in, in the legal business in the UK and he said 30 to 40% of divorce cases have some sort of Facebook involvement. Yeah. And in fact, in many of the cases, Facebook is permissible in a court of law as evidence. There's some of John's tech in the yeah. background. If you just heard that, the little bit of, what Google. is that? Google. Yeah. Google is talking to us there. <laughs> but yeah, um, that... Yeah, I think I think that there are a lot of people, and like I, I think it's always a slow drift. Is like is like you just have to be careful that like those things in in, in bad moments don't become so convenient that you're you're doing stuff because like I think if you don't like uh, one of the pastors that I really respect, uh, he would, he always said like make decisions when you're at your best so that you put safeguards so when when you are weak that like there's something there to yeah. stop you from doing what you actually don't want to do which is why uh you know this coming weekend we're going to hand out some resources and right. then uh, we may do a follow-up podcast with some practical tips for helping put some of those boundaries and safeguards in right. place for your kids so i look at it as like you know this is silly but i have you know this thing uh where you know it's like all right uh if there's a gallon of ice cream in the fridge and it's easy to get um, and you're hungry in the evening, it's going to get, it's <laughs> yeah. going to get eight. Yeah. And so when it comes to putting some safeguards into place for your kids and, um, and the thing is they're really smart and they know more than you do. And so that's intimidating. Mm -hmm. Um, which is one of the reasons why we want to help you with some practical tools around that. Yeah. But it's, it's the kind of thing of when it's, when you're talking about internet pornography and some of these things, it's literally as addictive studies have shown it's as addictive addicted right. for people as crack cocaine and it's like you wouldn't just leave hopefully you don't have that in your house but you know <laughs> you wouldn't just leave that out um that's just uh wisdom and so 
um, setting some of those boundaries in place for yourself or for yourself and your kids is just a wise thing to do. Yeah. Um, because, you know, statistics are pretty clear, too, on on how uh, internet porn and stuff affects marriages and intimacy yeah. and all these things. And it's devastating right. like, in all these occasions. I, I generally, that book, they were talking about how, um, like, uh, a lot of the kind of male health doctors were starting to see, like, kids as young as, like, 17 come in. And they were basically impotent because they couldn't, because they had just seen so much and they just become so desensitized. So because it's so addictive, because it's so, and like, they just have never, you know, they're used to like 60 year old, you know, like guys and stuff, but like it can do something. And like, like, I think like it was an interview with a, a rock star and he was just saying that like, like real women don't do anything for them it's just kind of bad porn you know so like there is such a danger that and i think i think a lot of the time is like um i I think a lot of parents can be well my little johnny that wouldn't and you you can make it but like i just think the default should be like they've probably seen more than you think they have and you probably need to start talking with it like when this comes up what are you gonna do give them some tools because like you can do everything in the world, but they're going to be at somebody's house or some kid's going to have a phone near the, like, it'll happen. That's where the it, heart connection yeah. comes in. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and that's, that's why you have to keep that heart connection open so that they feel like they can come talk to you because like one of the things about sin is where it's hidden, it gets worse. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's one of those things that you want to make sure that, you know, like, um, well, it's always both and. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's put, put the protection in, in place, you wouldn't, like I said, you wouldn't just leave coke laying around the house, right? <laughs> right. Um, Apparently, we have a lot of people who just have a lot of cocaine that they just leave out. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't just I, do that. Yeah. But, the, but the point is, um, the point is, put the protections in place. Obviously, that's just wisdom. But right. then know that at the heart of the issue is a heart issue. Yeah. Um, but it's it's see for for so many believers, it, they look at it only as a moral issue, right? Mm-hmm. But it's so much bigger than just a moral issue. It's about yeah. um, the very nature of um, humanity and who we are and right. how we interact with each other and what's real and what's fake, you know, mm-hmm. and all those things. And that's why it's such a bigger issue than just, hey, this is wrong. Stop doing that. Which is, I think, what the message was, uh, you know, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s in right. church, um, you heard that, you dealt with that at a whole different right. level um, you had to usually well, put in some effort and work to get the fancy term, to some of these things. Right. The fancy term was what moral, moralistic therapeutic deism. Mm-hmm. So basically the idea was that behavior modification, if you behave yourself well enough, that you can get rid of all these things in your life and then God will be happy with you. The only problem with that is the gospel. It's like it's like God loves you when you're at your worst so that you can... But it's not that like bad things are good for you because like that's just sending in the other mm-hmm. direction. But it, it it is actually thinking through like, wow, if I if if I love Jesus and like He is at the center of my life and He's what I want to build my future on, like do these things are they going to help me get where I need to go? And then they're they're like you can help your children and you can help yourself think about it. Is like do I really want access to this all the time? Especially when, you know, like, um, I, I, do I want the gallon of ice cream in my fridge at 10 
when I've had a hard day. It's like, well, maybe not, because like I'm pretty sure three bowls sound awesome, you know? <laughs> like, like, so I think a lot of it is just making sure that that because rules, I mean, rules help, but like, like Jesus was always after our heart, and, and that's the thing is like, you know, like you, you, he was, you know, what is it? It's like, you, you don't murder anyone, but like if you hate someone. You might as well merge. So it's like it's like kind of going like, oh, I got this lust that I don't know what to deal with, and that's where the gospel comes in, and that's where we have hope and, and beyond just tools. But it, it's not a it's not a degradation of tools. It's just realizing that you need both good tools and boundaries in place, and you need the hope of the gospel. Like that's why we're Christians. Hmm. So, that's good stuff. So maybe next week we can have uh, a shorter version that we actually do like more pragmatic. Like I think it'd be useful to go over some like kind of good tools that are out there, um, some good things to think about, and, and some of them. John's expensive routers. Yeah. So and some of it is just knowing like uh, just knowing the things to watch out for. Some of the things is like um, there, there's a thing that I learned. Uh, in doing a youth group in Michigan about like there's this whole market for secondary phones <laughs> and uh, teenagers and like in the secondary account and like you know it, it's just that's what I'm saying is like you can have all the right tools and and like if you got you got to go after their heart and then you also have to have really good tools and like you have to know where to put those tools because they can follow your rules I mean like I, I remember my parents had this rule that was great and it was no mtv and then like my older sisters was like they taught me that it was no mtv while they're home and that works great you know like it didn't stop the mtv at all but yeah. it, it, you know because like they enforced it but like the problem was my heart it wasn't necessarily it wasn't that like i didn't want to pay attention to it so like what i'm saying is like my heart wanted to do bad things so i found a way to do bad things so that's what i'm saying like yeah. now you could technologically block it and like we have we have those tools and that would probably be better right but like mm -hmm. like you still have to go after the heart yeah that's where the both end comes in yep. in that context is you you do both i'm a firm believer that um you, because of the way kids develop and the fact that their brains aren't fully developed their assessment of risk isn't fully developed mm -hmm. um not it's not even especially for guys, right? doesn't really fully develop into here until you're about 25, pretty yeah. much, but, but, which explains a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but because of that, there's just wisdom steps to put into place yeah. of helping Absolutely. your kids. Like, if, if you can help protect your kids for some of the things, um, are they going to deal with some more things when they're out in the real world? Because this is one of the big arguments that, I, that I've heard from some people about, well, you might as well let your kids deal with some of this stuff now but i think because of the way that kids brains don't assess risk i don't know i know there's some validity in that but um to to letting them deal with some hard things and letting them experience consequences right but i also think there's a lot of wisdom in protecting your kids against the things that you can protect them against that are really damaging mm -hmm. um that are really damaging and can do permanent damage to their their soul right. really um it's a yeah it's definitely like it's definitely kind of a tension to manage mm -hmm. because i think you can't really solve the problem mm -hmm. and, and you do have to think through but i think it like uh 
like some of the D6 stuff that like I listened to about like Deuteronomy 6 yeah. for those that don't yeah, know. yeah. It, it, it's one of the like the home point center it's mm -hmm. like we, we we've kind of bought into it's basically family discipleship um but one of the things that the guy was talking about, and it just made a real impression on me, is like, you kind of want to, like, he was like, when you talk about kids, and I was thinking about a ministry context, is you want to begin with the end in mind. And he's like, if I want my 18-year-old to be a fully capable person who has a relationship that's thriving in Jesus without my help, he's like, how do I reverse engineer? So he just explained it as a sliding scale of like, I'm going to start doing more and more and then start doing less and less and start letting them make more and more and have more autonomy and let them try. And then you like, you know, you get to a place where, you know, they're 15 or 16 and they're kind of making their own choices. And then you, that heart connection is what will keep, you know, and that was basically his whole point is like, mm -hmm. that's what will keep you in the game with your kid. And like, I think a lot of the times is like, um, buying, you know, like buying them stuff and all this kind of stuff. But like, you don't see too many kids that are messed up because, you know, they didn't get a new car or they didn't get, uh, you know, the latest iPhone or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like when parents don't spend that time to know where their kids are actually at and feel like they're in their corner or they're helping them through stuff, like that's what screws kids up. You know, I've talked to plenty of kids like that and doing youth ministry and stuff like that's a harder thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it is, it is the, it is the thing of like, you don't want to expose them. Like, I think no parent wants to expose their kids to something that's just going to, you know, flip their whole like world upside down. And like, there's some wisdom, but then there is also, I think, I would say there is wisdom to just making them able to handle things mm -hmm. as much as is appropriate for their age. Yeah. And have those hard conversations yeah. that you need to that are appropriate for their age. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, you, you don't want... The, the goal is, like, like sometimes I think the, the prolonged adolescence and that is all over the hygiene is, like, like what we would have... Like, what my dad would have considered an adult, and he's, like, going to be 70 this year, was, like, if you were 18 or 19, you were pretty much, like, people were getting married then. People were, you know, like, having, like... like But now, like, that is such an exception to the rule, like... Like, I think the, it's the highest where men are now 29 and a half years old and women are like 26 on average getting married. Mm -hmm. So we have this like post-college and like adolescence almost. So adolescence now that a lot of people are theorizing that it starts at 13 and ends at about 27. So like, like, um, <laughs> and, and like, if you look at how kids live, mm -hmm. I mean, like, like we all laugh and there's yeah. a kid in the basement and stuff, but it, it, it is a reality and like, you know. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I think like, so parents and, and the kids are culpable. And part of it is like, if you teach your kid that they need you, like, don't be mad at them when they need you. Like, <laughs> you actually want your kid to be independent. And then the, the relationship has to change to, yeah. to more of a peer kind of a thing, you know, like, yeah. like if you think about it with end in mind and, and that, that was like a, a really eye opening way to think about it just because I don't know, like, it, I've seen a few of my friends just be stuck in kind of, uh, uh, what, especially some of the younger people that I'm friends with, like, they kind of have a weird relationship, what I would think is kind of weird with their parents now, and it's kind of this weird codependent thing where it's like, the umbilical cord, you know, at 27, I'm pretty sure you gotta go in there and snip it, you know, like, it, it's not good for either one of you. Mm-hmm. Interesting place we find ourselves in, I think. 
Well, cool. Well, I think this pretty much wraps up. I know we've been going probably well over an hour now, so yes, it is uh, probably time to let you guys go. And uh, hope <laughs> you have a great day. If you hang on to the end, we that's will right. give you we uh, salute you. Yeah. So we'll um, give you a chocolate at service. That's right. Just come up and ask. <laughs> we'll have some chocolate for you at service. We'll see if anybody actually listened to this. So, but I hope that was helpful for you in conversation. Um, just in maybe being eye-opening on some of the things that, when it comes to tech, some of the things that maybe you've just taken for granted. Um, and when it comes to your kids, maybe some of the things you've assumed that maybe haven't been a very good assumption as far as, um, you know, what they've been exposed to or different things like that. Um, I think just having your eyes opened a little yeah. bit can be very helpful. And so if we had some resources that people want to, uh, follow up a little bit more with this on um, what are I know one of your favorite books I just started it haven't gotten that mm -hmm. far yet but Coddling of the American Mind is, yeah. is a book you've been reading uh, recently right yeah and it, like just a forewarning it it's not from a Christian perspective it's just kind of it is it is kind of about some of the ethos of some of these issues mm -hmm. um, a really good one too is called iGen especially if you have kids and uh this would be, I mean, not so much for really young kids because they're probably going to be in a different demographic. And then uh, probably the third one that has the most is called Christians in the Age of Outrage. And it's more of, it's from a Christian and he's just kind of explaining how this has really started to change Christianity. And like it talks a lot about Facebook posting and like, mm -hmm. you know, how Christians, like we have, uh, you know, we've lost a lot of our witness and then he kind of he's going into like how we can kind of reclaim some of that and like mm -hmm. what is a, a good way in the light of Jesus to think about social media and how we interact with each other and how we interact with the world. Mm -hmm. you know? So like it, it's been a really positive um, thing to deal with. And, and that's and, by Ed Stetzer. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, and then um, some of the other stuff is just like, you know, like technology can do some really cool stuff. I mean, like I have too many smart lights like I have to I get yelled at all the time because my wife can't like turn on our lights <laughs> half the time so like and I can tell you how to do all that kind of fun stuff too if you ever want to get into smart home stuff oh woo -woo. <laughs> cool all right well I hope you um you know the whole point of this conversation is just to help you think through some of these things and hopefully help you answer that question like you know what is the role that technology is playing in my life and how has it affected me? Does it rule over me? Or do I rule over it? Does it control me? Do I control it? And just to stop and think about technology before you just take it for granted and use it without even thinking about that it might be actually be affecting your relationships. And really, that's the whole point of this series. So we hope it's been helpful for you. We hope to see you this next weekend as we dive into part two of the series and give you some practical tips. But for now, have a great rest of your week.